Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Oh, God, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Like fire that causes brushwood to burn. Like fire that causes water to boil. Come down. We need you because our world is on fire. Our world is full of hatred and division and prejudice. And we are responsible for the burning that we have in our midst. I wake to be my dream. I, as a black man in America, have always lived in some latent fear, some sort of fear of being in a place of conflict at the hands of a racist authority. Be afraid to be myself, a black man in America. I hear the notes of Ferguson, the song of cage birds singing those freedom songs of travel. For I have been mistreated, handled, and harassed, confronted because of my blackness. And I only want to be able not to know I am not just one of our in-house blacks with temporary passes that could be taken even in Laguna Beach, a paradise of a thousand steps of freedom. I hear the love notes of Ferguson, the songs of cage birds singing, those freedom songs of travel. The fears have left a scar on my soul, the strings of my heart, the face of America, the land of the free and the brave. And are we really free, I say, while for sure we're not about the brave. I hear the notes of Ferguson, the songs of cage birds singing, those freedom songs of travel. And in my dreams, I want to be able to walk the streets without fear of being judged for being me, dreadlock black man, that view the judgment, a mood that could take my life in the midst of a simple act that turns the stomach, the gun, the knife, as we live within the bowels of modern slavery and the allowance of another being a of section of the society that could take your voice, your spirit, to the big house again, slavery of the soul, the mind, the murder of a body, all in the big house again. I hear the notes of Ferguson, the songs of caged birds singing, and I will not lose this dream. So I am, I am, I am in the midst of cause, being a spiritual happening every second as I breathe deeply and release because all that is not needed will be burned away, turned to ash, for it is a new day in the songs of cage birds singing new ways of being, those freedom songs of travel. Ashe, ashe, ashe. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Ferguson should be a wake-up call for all of us who believe that we have made all this progress. Have we? As a people? As Christians? 
I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in a community where there were, there were lots of Latinos, Hispanics, but there were, I never saw an African-American until I was a teenager. I never saw one. Saw one. I was swimming, and there was a black child who came out of the pool, and I just stared. It's like, what is this? I was completely ignorant. I am not completely ignorant. I realize I am still largely ignorant. Mary and I lived in um, around the Detroit area for many years, and when Mary's first church was in Troy, which is about 25 miles north of Detroit, 25-mile road, they're very creative in the way they, they uh, label the roads around Detroit and Michigan. And we got together in the summer for some, for some combined youth groups. And we asked the, the, the white teenagers, when did you begin to understand about race? And they were typically, uh, when I was about 13, when I was about 14, I began to understand that race played a role in my life and in, in our world. And then they turned to uh, the African-American youth group, and they said, when did you begin to understand the reality of race in your life and in our world? And I think the one who was the slowest said, um, I think I was three. So we tried to have a dialogue between the white kids and the black kids, and it was tough. Because the white kids have been thinking about it for maybe two years. And the black kids have been thinking about it their whole life. I got to admit, sometimes my foot is a little bit too hard on the pedal, especially when I'm going through like the Plain States or you're going to New Mexico and you've got to stretch a road that's like 100 miles before it gives you any bend. And if you don't have cruise control on, your foot just goes faster and you know, down and down and down. You're going faster and you don't really know it because nothing is moving. And I'll get pulled over for speed and it's only happened a couple times. And... As a white privileged male, it bugs me when I don't get a warning. Why didn't I just get a warning? Yeah, that's what I think. Now, I wasn't guilty of driving black or driving Hispanic. And that's all it takes to get pulled over in our world today. Guilty of driving black and driving Hispanic. And you're hoping simply to get away with a ticket without getting arrested, without getting hassled, without having your very being demeaned. I don't know what that's like. I thank you for sharing your poem. Mary um, Terrell, this was very impromptu. I really want to thank Terrell because he just came back from a, a really hectic week. And I knew I wanted to say something on Ferguson, and Mary didn't know that, but she said, oh, have you seen Terrell's poem? And I read it, I thought, oh, my heavens, I have to have this in the service. But I really need him to read it. So, Terrell, last minute, thank you. <laughs> Elie Wiesel said, the only thing that has to happen for evil to triumph is for good people to stay silent. For good people to stay silent. There is a reason why The Good Wife has two episodes. Tell me you like The Good Wife. They have the... Yeah, it's a great, I'm not trying to pimp a movie show, but it's a great show. But there's, they, have two, they have two episodes that are called a ham sandwich. 
and you probably know what the reference to that is, which is what? A grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. If you have a ham sandwich, a grand jury will indict it. And the reason for this is very simple, and I'm, and I'm going to have to quote the words of, I'm, I apologize in advance for using a liberal clarion of justice, Antolin Scalia, you know, he's, he's, that, he's that, um, that voice of progressive thought in the United States. Basically what Scalia said was that in both England and in the United States law, you are at the, at the stage of indictment, all you are presented with is, is there enough? Is there enough evidence to support a charge? That's it. There is no right for the accused to defend themselves. There is no right in the United States Constitution, anywhere in law, for the defense, for the defendant to go and to, for four hours, testify before a grand jury. There's a reason why we have the joke, a grand jury will indict a ham sandwich. Because all you're supposed to figure out is, is there enough evidence to support the charge? The prosecutor is not supposed to present mitigating circumstances. That's not the prosecutor's job at the grand jury level. The only way that case doesn't get indicted is if the prosecutor doesn't want it to be indicted and shapes in such a way that justice has no chance. That justice has no chance. And it's been interesting over the last week to look at the response from my colleagues. My African-American friends who are clergy say, you white folk, you got to man up. You have got to talk about this. You can't say, I'm not in that community. I don't want to speak for a community I don't understand. We need your voice. And the white colleagues responding back, well, do they have to burn so much stuff? Couldn't they just respond? Can't that be our plea that can't we just have civility? Yes, it was horrible, but can't the response just be more to our liking, not make us feel more uncomfortable? Oh, that the heavens would open, the heavens would shake, and you, when your power would come down, oh God, and that's what it looks like. If you look at the Isaiah passage, I love the passage, because Isaiah says, you know, God, if you hadn't absented yourself, we wouldn't have sinned. If you hadn't withdrawn your presence from us, we would have been much better behaved. It's your fault, oh God, that we are such sucky people when you're not with us. I love that because this is who we are. How are we supposed to know what to do when God clearly doesn't send us anyone to tell us how to behave? Because when they do, what happens? What happens to the Martin Luther King? Gone. Yeah. God is still speaking, folks. Do we believe it? We love it when it's God is still speaking inclusion and love and happiness and hope, but we are not happy when God is speaking, um, hello? 
I did not come 2,000 years ago so that you could say, well, it didn't happen in my community, thank God. Unless you talk to Terrell, that godless commie radical. It happens everywhere. Because we have not gotten beyond sexism and we have not gone beyond racism. We just haven't. So if we are going to be anything during Advent, we need to follow the last part of this passage, which is, you are the potter. We are the clay. I guarantee you, we cannot figure this out without God's help. Sometimes the progressive church says, we just need to educate people we need to educate them about how to be better. And that will take you so far. But without God, that's as far as you get. Do we believe in the power of God or not? Do we ask that, oh God, your power might come down so that we have a chance to fix this if we allow ourselves to be the clay and allow you to be the potter? And I guarantee you we're not going to like how that feels at first. We are not going to like how that feels, but that is the call of Advent. I mean, the story of Advent is not about twinkly lights. It's about God saying, justice will be done. I will be with you. It's going to cost a lot, but there's a, a lot to be done. Will we allow ourselves to be the clay? And will we allow God to be the potter? That's the question of Advent. Not what gift does Aunt Myrtle really want the least. <laughs> I know she likes those smelly candles. In her bathroom, I'll get her one of those. Those are nice, safe things. That's what Christmas is all about, or not. We're going to read, I'm going to read, um, well, let me get it first. Hang on. A better prepared person would have kept it with it. All right. What are these about? A litany for those who aren't ready for healing. I want these to feel very, very, very uncomfortable. Happy days. Aren't you? Let us not rush healing before understanding the fullness of the injury and the depth of the wound. Let us not rush to offer a band-aid when the gaping wound requires surgery and complete reconstruction. Let us not offer false equivalencies thereby diminishing the particular pain being felt in a particular circumstance in a particular historical moment. Let us not speak of reconciliation without speaking of directions and restoration or how we can repair the breach and how we can restore the loss. Let us not rush the loss of this mother's child, this father's child, someone, beloved son. Let us not value property over people. Let us not protect material objects while human beings hang in the balance. 
let us not value a false peace over righteous justice. Let us not be afraid to sit with the ugliness, the messiness, and the pain that is life in community together. Let us not offer cliches of the grieving those whose hearts are being torn asunder. Instead, let us mourn black and brown men and women, those killed extrajudicially every 28 hours. Let us lament the loss of a teenager dead at the hands of a police officer who described him as a demon. Let us weep at a criminal justice system which is neither blind nor just. Let us call for the mourning men and the wailing women, those willing to rend their garments of privilege and ease and sit in the ashes of this nation's original sin. Let us be silent when we don't know what to say. And listen to the pain, rage, and grief pouring from the lips of our neighbors and friends. Let us decrease so our brothers and sisters who live on the underside of history may increase. Let us pray with our open eyes and our feet firmly planted on the ground. Let us listen to the shattering glass and let us smell the purifying fires, for it is the language of the unheard. God, in your mercy, show me my own complicity and injustice. Convict me for my indifference. Forgive me when I have remained silent. Equip me with a zeal for righteousness. Never let me grow accustomed or acclimated to unrighteousness. Oh, that the heavens, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. We need you now. Do we have the clay here? Is that, has that been done? We have a very special guest. You are going to have an opportunity to shape little hearts, make little pinch pots. Ever done pinch pots? If you were here for my um, installation, you did a pinch pot. Or you give, were given the opportunity to make a pinch pot. And we're going to give you wet wipes because these are messy, messy things. And if it's your Sunday best, deal with it as best you can. But there will be a video, and during the video, you want to explain how these are done? You want to take over? I was going to demonstrate. I'll help pass them out if you want to. I'm going to turn this over to a professional. Today we're going to be making pinch pots, and pretty much what you do is you just press one thumb into the middle of the uh, square of clay, and then you uh, kind of shape around it, and we're going to be making heart-shaped pinch, pinch pots because um, that's uh, how God is able to interact with us. You know, we're able to change things and uh, shape them into what we want. And, uh, yeah. 
We'll get you the clay if you don't have a plate.